So let's, uh, I'm going to let the, uh, these gentlemen introduce themselves, but this is our panel this morning. I will act as moderator. So let's start right here. Uh, who are you? Give us a little bit about your life and, and your kids. And I think we have a picture to show uh, with this, too. So. Uh, there they are. Outstanding. Uh, I'm Stuart Sonneland. Um, gosh, born and raised in Spokane and a uh, family of uh, seven. And um, gosh, Patty, I've been married for 32 years. She is, would be here. I'd introduce you to her, but uh, she's on call with Spokane Mental Health, and she's at Holy Family as we speak. So blessings on my lovely wife. Um, let's see. Uh, next to my lovely wife is Josh, uh, 28 years old. He gets married next Saturday in Darien, Connecticut. So we leave tomorrow. Um, pretty excited. Actually, we're very excited. Not pretty. Um, Holly, our eldest, uh, is uh, in Seattle. Um, awesome. Emily just graduated from prep. She is leaving. She'll be here too, but she's leaving, going to Camp Spalding today to do their Compass program. So she's, she's amazing. She's wonderful as well. And then Caleb, uh, 24, he lives in uh, Connecticut as well. Uh, teaches at a, a, a English at a private school there. So, and Emily's going to go to Boston University. So it's wild that three of our kids will be within like Two hours of each other, but a long way from home. So, yeah. yeah. Great. David? I'm David Sloan. I'm also a born and raised Spokaneite. Um, went to LC, then Whitworth, Eastern, now Gonzaga. So, tour of Spokane schools. <laughs> <laughs> it's my beautiful wife, Mary, and our new son, Edson. If you want a real life picture, they're standing right there in back. Yeah. That's way better. <laughs> way better. He's got his tuxedo on today. so. He's got a little tux shirt, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, we're excited to be here. My name is Russ. I, uh, when we first set up the panel, we had a new, brand new father. And then I was supposed to represent, well, the person that was supposed to be here was going to be the grandfather. So I'm stepping in for the grandfather. <laughs> no announcements or anything, but, um, yeah, it'd be bad. It'd be bad news. Uh, anyhow, this is my family right here. Um, my wife, Shannon, in the middle, holding our youngest, Evie. My daughter, Carson, 13, Jack, 11, Mason, 9. I grew up just outside of Scranton, Pennsylvania, and we moved here about six, a little over six years ago. Great. All right, so this is our panel this morning. Again, we're going to just be chasing after this idea of fatherhood, godly fatherhood. What we've done is we've come up with about six, uh, let's see, yeah, six questions uh, that after our conversations we deemed these might be questions that would be important. And what we're going to do is we're going to let you guys choose what questions we answer this morning, assuming that we probably won't get to all six. Maybe we will, uh, but we want you guys to choose where we begin. So I'm going to give you about a minute to read these, and then I'm going to call out for somebody just to yell out the question that seems uh, most important to them, and the first word or the first number I hear is the question we're going to chase after. So take a minute, read these, and then we'll, we'll come right back. Four. Wow. <laughs> wow, okay, four it is. So... Um, Sorry for those of you who don't read nearly as fast as that individual. Um, we, we'll, we can uh, keep these up here throughout the, throughout the morning. So number four, uh, to you guys, and you can answer in whatever order you want, but how has your faith grown through parenting? How has your faith grown through parenting? Okay, I'll start. So our baby Edson is four and a half months old, and... Um, for any of you who have had babies, you know that um, it's a kind of a team project. 
And so to give Mary a little bit of time at home, whether she wants to exercise or take a nap or whatever, I usually put Edson in the Chico carry and we go walk around the neighborhood. And um, just a couple weeks ago, I was blown away by, um, I was just looking at him and talking to him and kind of imagining our lives as we grow older together and just thinking about how there's nothing that he could do that would change the way I love for him. And I think that really deepened my understanding of how God loves me. And, I mean, even though, like, my love for Edson is imperfect, but God's love for me is so, um, so perfect. And there's nothing that I could do to change that. And so I think that's, that's probably my answer for that. I was uh, talking to Josh this morning, he called, and uh, somehow we got, a, we're talking about one of my favorite stories. Uh, he was about four years old, we're in the car, running some errand, and uh, I, I, I'm just telling Josh, uh, you need to know that your mom and I, we love you, and we love you no matter what, no matter what you ever do, we love you. And uh, <laughs> we're stopped at this light, and you can see the wheels just kind of, he goes, uh, even if I wreck the whole world. <laughs> you know, you got to prove that by going to the extreme. Yeah. And uh, it's like, uh, I'm dying inside. And I'm just saying, yeah, Josh, even if you wreck the whole world, we would love you. But I, same thing. I just, I feel like through the understanding and some kind of, well, not even being able to define how much I love my kids and knowing that, God loves me still more than that. That uh, man, that has been a foundational piece of my faith. Um. I'll take it a slightly different direction, and um, I think one of the things that is kind of deepened in my faith is uh, the sense of um, often when I think about obedience to God or living a life that uh, demonstrates what it means to follow Him, I, I tend at times to not necessarily think of God's presence as being close. I can think of him as out there at times, right? Um, but there's nothing more real than stepping out of line or let's say, for example, driving faster than the speed limit and having four kids in the back go, hey, Dad, how fast is the road right now? You know? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, okay. Or saying something um, disrespect- disrespectful or finding myself doing something that I know isn't appropriate, and then all of a sudden recognizing that there's somebody in the same room, that if I do this thing that I was about to do, if I say that thing I was about to say, there's somebody right here present. Now, God is obviously always present, but there's something about a tangible representation that my kids are going to call me out on my stuff. I know it. Uh, they often do. And uh, so there's times where I just say to them, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, your dad is a flawed gentleman. But uh, I am growing just as you are in faith and wanting to honor God with my actions and my words and my thoughts. And so it keeps me on my toes, you know. I have to really lean into that. Good. What else? Next question. Somebody shout it out. Number three. What does it mean to disciple your children? What does it mean to disciple your children? We'll start with you, David, because you're, you've okay. got about four months into this, so it's really yeah. fresh to you. Well, this, I mean... This question took a lot of thought because, um, for me, it's a question that I need to begin asking myself now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Mary and I, I think, first need to be Christ followers and um, intentional about that. 
um, so that when we want to, when Edson can say words, we can, you know, it's not something that's totally foreign from us. Mm. Um, we were talking together. Another thing um, is that we're praying for Edson, and hopefully that will lead someday into praying with him. Um, but as far as this question goes, I'll probably learn from the other panel members. <laughs> so. Um, the, anytime somebody asks me that question, the first thing that comes into my mind is Deuteronomy 6. And uh, there's that passage in Deuteronomy 6 that right after it talks about, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. This, this is Yahweh that we're following. And it calls us all to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then right after that, it says, Teach these things to your children. Teach these things to people that follow. And to do it in a way, and this is what I consider discipleship to be, to do it in a way where it doesn't matter what part of life you're in, you view it as a teaching moment. Mm -hmm. So it says when you sit, when you rise, when you lie down, it doesn't matter when. So it's taking those opportunities when something goes really well to remind them that every good and perfect gift is from above. Or when something goes really bad to go, what is it that we can learn and how is it that we can begin to understand God's interaction with us in this? And just taking every opportunity that we can and viewing it as a moment to really move people further in terms of their love for God, their knowledge of Him, their sense of what it means to follow Him. And so I think for me that's what making a disciple is it's it's bringing along another learner someone who wants to follow jesus and using every opportunity to try to make that happen good uh, i'd say i think of um well the ask, uh, the first thing that came to me when i saw the first question uh what lessons isn't that le- what lessons have you learned in fatherhood yeah what lessons uh, have humility you was the first thing that the first word that came to me um I think being a parent is really a humbling uh, experience, especially when they get into the, the, the you know, they're in their teenage years. Oh, baby! Someone said uh, it's like a roller coaster ride. You can hang on and hope you make it to the end. Um, but uh, but in terms of, and it, I guess as I, 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 humility came to me when I'm thinking of discipleship because I feel like, oh man, that's an area where I don't know if there. I, I just I wish. If I could rewind the clock, I, I could see things I wish I would have done differently. Um, and yet, at the same time, I think the, the going, you know, alongside with that is when in Mark, where it said Jesus called the disciples, he said he spent the night in prayer, and he called the twelve to him that they might be with him. And I, um, I just, I just think that's so profound that the the most important thing that we can ever do is simply to be with them. That's what Jesus, that was his plan was. It doesn't say he called them to teach them, you know, how to give a great sermon or, you know, lead a great Bible study. He called them that he could be with them. And uh, it kind of piggybacks on what Danielle said, too. I think just uh, my dad, I mean, in many ways, phenomenal, but uh, he was a a surgeon, workaholic, and I just didn't see him much. And so um, I've really, I think of anything, really tried to, to be that, to be there, to be present uh, coach my kids soccer and uh, all that. Um, I think that's a huge. If, if I'm following Christ, my hope is that at least as I'm with them that you know, they're able to see that and see me and see hopefully that that's authentic. Let, let me push into that just a little bit um, for some practical ideas. Is um, great question. I, I mean, I know that this is a place where I struggle. I think a, a lot of people 
uh, fathers and mothers struggle in this area of we've got a lot of going on. There's demands at work, there's demands to volunteer in communities. Like, I mean, we've got stuff, we've got our own hobbies and passions. So how have you guys practically lived out this idea of I'm gonna be with my children, I'm gonna be present with my children. Are there little things, little pieces of advice that you could shoot out to us? Taking walks. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, taking walks. <laughs> <laughs> well, our, we all want what we, th you know, we all want the good life, right? But oftentimes we go through life without really defining what that means, you know? What are the ingredients that need to be within, in your life to make it what you would think is fulfilling and satisfactory. And, you know, for me, um, you know, I want a job that's meaningful, but that also offers me time to spend with my family and time to spend in community. Um, and I think it has to, it starts with just being intentional about, you know, kind of living that life that you kind of see for yourself and not being passive about it. For me, uh, obviously, there are things like uh, coaching them in soccer or um, trying to find days to set aside or evening to set aside just for family. And if someone asks, like, hey, can you do X, Y, or Z on that evening? Hey, I'm sorry, I already have an appointment. I already have something that's kind of on the calendar, and that calendar time is my family to, to practically schedule it in a little bit. Um, because I think the pace of life at times we can just get caught up in the hurriedness instead of being intentional about setting it aside. I think another important thing is to really try to live at some level into this idea of Sabbath. I mean, it's one of those Ten Commandments, and it's something that we're, I think, still called to live into. And so recognizing that even in the midst of busyness, even in the midst of a difficult schedule, to be intentional about setting aside time. And often when... Uh, Sabbath happened, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, you see that it's centered around family. And uh, so making sure that's an important part. And then, again, it's just taking advantage of those times that naturally come. So you're going to be in the car when you go from point A to point B. So take that moment to ask kids questions or to just catch up with each other or, um, you know, making sure that dinner is a priority or other things like that. And each family, I think, does that different but trying to lean into some of those and be present. Because I think you can be present physically and yet still not be present. And I would say that that, uh, that happens to me on occasion, um, probably more than I'd like to be true, where I'm there but my mind isn't or um, you know, my, my soul isn't engaged in the moment. So I, I think snapping into that reality that I need to be not just physically present but consciously present. I just talked to a guy who, um, <clears throat> he actually works in Liberty Lake, and he, so he travels back into Spokane every day and has been in, incredibly intentional in using that 20-minute commute or that 30-minute uh, commute to center himself, to do what he needs to do to decompress from the day at work to then when he enters the door, he's on. And I just really respected that idea of, no, I'm going to be disciplined to do what I need to do so that when I'm home, I'm home. And I've left work there. And, and so you, my first thought was, oh, man, you've got to drive out to Liberty Lake every day. That's terrible. And he said, actually, I love it because it, it is, it's allowed me to be more present with my family. So I think that's a, a really good word. All right, next question. Throw one out. Six, two. Uh, six and two. So I heard uh, we'll go two first, and then we'll go um, number six. 
What is your relationship with your father like? Have you deliberately tried to change anything as you have become a father? I can start on this one. Um, my father is someone that I greatly admire and look up to, a great friend, um, confidant. I am uh, quite blessed with a great family, and uh, thank God for that on many occasions. But he um, is just a, a wise man I look up to and respect, and uh, we've continued to see our relationship change over time, as I think all relationships with dads do, and uh, we're very close, and uh, I love him deeply. So uh, with that said, there are some things I would definitely change as a part of uh, how I'm seeking to raise my kids too. I'll give you a, a positive and then um, what you could be construed as a negative. The uh, positive, it, my dad I think did a really good job of trying to fall in love with the things that we were in love with. So my father was an athlete growing up, but he was like a wrestler and cross country and track and some other sports. And um, soccer wasn't on his radar, didn't love soccer until he realized I did. And then he started learning about it. He would watch videos. He'd read books. He'd go to games. He, then he started coaching our teams. Then he did everything he could to consume himself with understanding a sport that I love so that he could be in it with me. And uh, I really admired that and want to continue to try to model that. So I um, try to read up on things that, you know, whether it's photography and uh, my daughter likes that and, and she's just kind of exploring that. So learning a little bit about the camera and learning a little bit and asking questions of the people I know that do that and just so I can kind of dabble a little bit in what she is passionate about it. So I think that's one positive that uh, my father passed on that I'd like to continue to, to model. Um, the negative, or what could be construed as a negative, my father grew up in an era where um, his parents didn't really talk about sex at all, and then he likewise didn't really talk about that subject with me at all. So like by the time it was time to talk about birds and the bees, it was way too late. By the time he kind of got around to starting to maybe talk about the birds and the bees, just to kind of go, hey, you know, yeah, dad, we know, we got it, it covered, right? So there, there wasn't really those conversations, and yet uh, I think in our society today, I mean, the average age of internet exposure for a teen or for a child is 11, uh, and that number gets lower every year. Uh, so if you think about internet pornography exposure at 11, average age, and you think about the conversations that happen in the, the classrooms and in the hallways and in the buses. I just made it a point really early on to try to talk and communicate to my kids about that, to be able to allow them to ask questions, to find us as kind of the, the source of that information. So, yeah, you talk to your friends at school about it, great, come home and ask, what is it that they were saying? Let us have this dialogue and continue to have that dialogue going. I think they know that there's an open door policy, meaning they can always come and ask questions and talk about that subject. Uh, I also think it's important to acknowledge to our kids in a healthy way that, um, that sex is great and that it's beautiful and it's something that God uh, created. And uh, for them to know that mom and dad like each other, I think is a really good thing. So, um, so we make sure that we talk about that in a healthy way. Okay, well, um, many of you guys know Lane Stoops, um, and he taught, he showed me this analogy about, um, 
being a dad is that you know you're you're a parent for a while but then your kids will grow up and they'll fire you as their parent but the hope is that they'll hire you again as a consultant and um, I would say that that is kind of how my relationship is with my dad now I mean he was supportive for all of my uh, sports stuff in high school and and prior and music stuff he was always there he was super safe to come to when I was in trouble or just needed to be vulnerable he's one of the uh, people I admire the most Um, five years ago um, my mom got sick and my dad was just pretty incredible with her too so yeah I'm just going to leave it there so I mentioned that my uh, dad was a uh, surgeon uh, alcohol workaholic uh, perfectionist, and so I just you know just didn't see him a lot uh, growing up, and uh, and then when I did a lot of times that, I've often thought, man, if I have a surgeon, I want him to be a perfectionist like crazy, <laughs> like you know if he's like oh that's good enough, that would not be good, but uh, <laughs> but that didn't, didn't translate as well I think into fatherhood, and uh, so I think for me yeah there's been those you know to be there to be. Uh, encouraging to find those things in my kids that I can, maybe even before they see it, that I can identify and say, I think this is a way that God has gifted you. And I want to, in a sense, I think part of our role, I look at, you know, it's, you know, God in creation, you know, with his voice, he created the world. And I think we have that same, you know, we have the image of God in us and that same role in some way that our voice, we call out in our kids those things that we see that God has gifted them for and gifted them with. I think that's a really uh, important deal. Uh, And we will probably end on this question. So number six, how has fathering changed your understanding of being a husband? So how has has become and, and, and being a father changed your understanding of being a husband? I'll start this one. Um, I've just been, um, I mean, I have a deep admiration for Mary. She's the most incredible woman I've ever met. And, um, but seeing her love, Edson, has just uh, even deepened that further. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done a lot of projects. We built a shed together. Um, we ripped apart a kitchen together. Um, but this, building a family together, has been a neat project to work on as a team. And... Um, one thing that having a third person in our lives has showed me that is that um, the way I carry myself really does affect those who are around me. Mm-hmm. And so, I'd, um, so in my marriage with Mary, um, uh, many of you guys know, I'm quoting some, another friend, and uh, Shan Furch taught me that um, men carry the torch of apathy and women carry the torch of worry. And um, oftentimes in a relationship, that can create an imbalance um, and take you, put you on different pages. And in order to kind of heal that imbalance, um, women would need to step into that apathy role, but not the dark side, the the light side. So being able to say, okay, God, I trust you in this. Um, On the other hand, men really need to carry that torch of worry, but not the the shadow side, the, the light side, where you need to be sincerely caring about um, the things that, uh, that the other cares about. Mm-hmm. And I think 
um, when both of us are intentional about that, our our marriage has just flourished. I think. So. Um, I think the easiest way for me to answer this is simply that um, my kids need and should see us have a great marriage. Um, And if they see my deep love for Shannon and they see that embodied in practical, regular, consistent ways, um, I think that gives them a picture of what it can look like to be in that kind of relationship. It helps them to see um, just how relationships in general should work, not just about marriage, but relationships in general. And I think it also gives them, uh, again, uh, this unique perspective of God, bringing it back around to what these two guys shared right at the very beginning, that that fatherhood often teaches you about um, God and your relationship with him and how he looks at you. I think it also brings this, this same idea that they can look at a father and at a mother and recognize those qualities and who God is and how God demonstrates himself uh, in the Trinity, but then also to, toward us. And I think that can, be, that can speak quite a bit into their life over time. I think uh, the one thought that occurred to me, and this is... <laughs> Pretty recent thing. Talk about humility. Um, but I, uh, our oldest daughter, uh, Holly, her church, they're really big on this idea of uh, daddy dates, um, especially dads taking their little girls out to uh, just out. Could be, you know, coffee or whatever. And uh, so I was like, okay, that, and again, I think by that point realizing that in my desire I'd seen kids that were kind of the parents that kind of forced, in a sense, discipleship on their kids, and invariably that led to this huge rebellion. As soon as they were out, boy, they were, or even before they were out, you know, they were off the chain. And um, so I, uh, I, for me, it was, I, I think I didn't want to, to, to press too much when I got into high school. I, th- I look back now, I said, I think I wish I would have engaged them more. Um, and so with Emily, you know, she's the fourth, okay, well, I get a chance to, to redo here, and so I think her freshman year, you know, every day of the week at school, there was a late start. So we just started going to breakfast. Uh, every late start morning, we'd go to breakfast. And unless I was traveling, kind of that was a inviolate deal. And it has, um, God, it's been a huge, huge thing. Just a chance to, especially when life can get so busy. And, man, when, you know, those of you who have high school kids or beyond, I mean, it, 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 just, pick, it just continues to pick up steam as they get older. And um, that, that's just been, it's been a wonderful thing. Just a chance, again, to touch base on life, to, you know, ask questions about faith. If she has questions, she knows that Thursday morning at Rockwood we're going to have a chance to, to talk, and I have really loved that. But the lesson in terms of, and this is why I'm embarrassed that it's more recent, is that, you know, like Patty and I have had date nights and that, you know, but we're nowhere near as consistent with those as Emily and I have been with the Thursday morning breakfast deal. And just in the last few weeks, it's just like, oh, crap. You know, I, it's so much, it's at least, if not more important, as Russ said, to be consistent with Patty. And in those times with her, I know how much that would mean to her and bless her. And so that's kind of what I'm right, right in the midst of as we speak. So um, I, that, can I just add one thing? Uh, maybe. Would, yeah, would sure. that be yeah. all right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I just... I worked in Young Life for a long time, 20-some-odd years, and uh, Patty and I 
like whenever we'd be at camp, we would lead a seminar on the troubled family. And um, when I spoke at camp, one of the, I would just try to hammer home the idea of God and his love uh, for us. I feel like nothing makes sense until we understand how much God loves us, which is why these lessons from our kids were, like, as I said, like foundational for me. Um, but I realized, especially as we led this one, that seminar on, on you know, the troubled family, there were some kids whose experience with their fathers had just been not just like negative, but really horrific. Um, and, and here's this relationship that God designed our fathers to us to bless us. And um, so as time went by, I just realized I really needed to acknowledge that um, fact um, that you know, when we talk about God being a father is a good thing, there's some of you who that is a really difficult thing to wrap your arms around and believe that God, if he's a father, could be good. Um, and I just, I guess when we were singing that song, you know, God, our healer, I just thought it would be great just to pray. If, if you've been in that place, feel as though, you know, your relationship with your father has, you know, there are wounds from that. I just thought it would be cool to pray that God would bring healing. Yeah. So. We're going to pray. So, and if you're at that place, you feel like, man, my heart has been hurt, I just encourage you to put your hand over your heart, and we're going to ask that God would, would bring healing. Yeah. Father, we do believe that you are um, a healer, and uh, everywhere you went when you were on this earth, uh, you healed people. And, Father, we know that in this group, in this room today, there are those who have been uh, hurt and some hurt deeply by uh, their fathers. And so, Lord, we ask that you would come now and that you would touch those hearts, that you uh, would bring healing, that you would touch those places where there have been wounds and where there are scars, and we pray um, that you would bring uh, your healing as, you, as, as the Bible said would quickly appear. Ask that your Holy Spirit would fill those places that have been dark uh, with your light, places that have been cold. We pray that you would bring your warmth, the warmth of your spirit. Thank you, God, that you are our Father, that when you taught your disciples to pray, you said to start by saying our Father. That is amazing, mind-blowing, and we pray that for everyone here, that um, as days and weeks go by more and more, the, the wonder of that would sink in, and it would become a beautiful thing if it has not been. And, uh, God, that you would heal all of us. Uh, we thank you. In your strong name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Let's, uh, would you guys help me in thanking our panel this morning? <laughs> you guys have Thank you. Uh, as they're finding their seats, I'm going to have, uh, actually, if you haven't been hearing the kids, they're probably all lined up at the door. Uh, so let's do this. If you are a father uh, or a father-to-be, let's have you stand right now. So all fathers or, uh, or men that are expecting their first babies, can you guys stand right now? We have uh, a small gift for you guys, so let's have our kids come out. This is what the gift says right here. It's a, uh, it's a pack of M&M's and a bow tie. And it says, we think you are M&M, mighty and marvelous. (laughs) 
Let's, uh, I'm going to have those dads remain standing here too. So we got some more dads over on this side. Nice job, Sam. Thanks, Bergie. All right, we need all the kids to uh, head back. Every dad has got one, right? All right, let's, uh, let's hear a round of applause for our fathers and for our kids. Let's have, uh, let's have those dads actually remain standing. We can have all the kids back here. <laughs> we'll just keep moving. Um, <laughs> all right. Let me, uh, so dads, just remain standing. I, I want to try to condense stuff. Uh, give me one minute here, and then uh, we, we want to pray over all of these fathers as well. But um, two things that, that stand out to me uh, about this morning, and I, and I want to, we even prayed about this before service, that we want to make sure that times when we do panels like this, that there is some focus, that it's not just a bunch of things that are said and, and there's not a lot of clarity. So here's two things that stand out to me uh, uh, this morning. One is just a reality that we live in. Here's the reality. Some of our experiences with our fathers are not great. And uh, that is somewhat obvious standing up here and looking out uh, and seeing people in tears. And maybe those are tears of joy. And that's, that's my hope. That's my prayer. I think in a lot of circumstances, though, those are not tears of joy. And those are tears of heartache and pain. So we approach this morning, uh, hopefully in great sensitivity, knowing that not all fathers have been great fathers. Um, Here's the reality, though, is we have a perfect and loving Father in heaven, and we need to hang our hope on that reality. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says this, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. You even just think about the way that, that God has talked about in the scriptures as Father. You think about parables uh, comparing fa- uh, God to Father, and uh, it's incredible. So let's hang our hope in the reality that w- regardless of our experience, our earthly experience with dads uh, or, or even just men in our lives, um, we have a perfectly loving Father in heaven. The second one is this. I think the greatest task that fathers have, myself included, is to be a discipler of our children. And we spoke about that uh, this morning. Um, being a discipler of our children is tiresome. Even this, uh, this weekend as we were driving, my kids are young, and so we're in that stage where they're asking questions about everything. And I found myself just saying in the car, I need everybody to just be silent right now. <laughs> no more talking. You cannot talk to mom or dad right now. <laughs> they didn't do it. They still ask questions. But... I, I, I'm thinking this morning, maybe that was a missed opportunity, a missed opportunity to continue to be a discipler of my children, where I just got tired, I got lazy, and I said, just everybody, be quiet, I can't deal with you right now, talk to each other, but don't talk to me. Um, that's one of those missed opportunities. The reality is, is we are the front lines of discipleship. Like Russ said, everything we do, the words we say, the way we act, the way we love our wives, the way we uh, interact with people, the things that we do here, the way we read our scriptures, all of that stuff our kids are watching. 
and, and we are disciplers of our kids. What, there is no greater responsibility. There is no uh, greater joy. There should be no greater joy in our lives. So that's my encouragement to myself, my encouragement to you, and, and our challenge as we leave here of let us be disciplers of the children that God have entrusted us with and the people that God has entrusted us with. So let's pray for our dads right now. If you are close to one of these men standing, uh, go ahead and reach your hand out. Lay hands on them. If you're not, you can just put your hand out in the air. But let's lay hands on these gentlemen this morning.